Welcome to Wood Talk Online Radio, for woodworkers, by woodworkers. Now here are three guys that are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt and Shannon. Alright, it's episode 91 for December 21st, 2011. On today's show, we're talking about our New Year's resolutions, and uh, I got a few previews for you here. Matt is determined to fit into those shiny new stretchy pants. Shannon is going to remove all the electricity from his shop and work by candlelight exclusively. And me, I'm probably going to try to shave more than once a week this year. Uh, But before we get to all that, Matt, can you tell them how they can get in touch with us? Absolutely. As always, there's a few different ways you can get a hold of us. If you ever have a comment, a question, or a suggestion about something you've heard in today's show, or maybe you really want to get pictures of me in those shiny new stretch pants, uh, thanks to Elton John's uh, recent garage sale, um, <laughs> or maybe there's something you'd like to hear on an upcoming episode, you can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, or you could call and leave us a voicemail at 623 you can even Skype us at Wood Talk Online, although from what I understand, when I come online, at least nobody ever sees me there. So that <laughs> might be a bad thing. Uh, but of course, you can also check us out at our individual sites, which are renaissancewoodworker.com, thewoodwhisperer.com, and mattsbasementworkshop.com. And especially head on over to the forum at woodtalkonline.com, where one or all of us are hanging out there to answer your questions or just make fun of uh, whatever stupid question you have. Wait, they're not stupid. There's never a stupid question. Um, there's just really just, ridiculous answers. I thought you were going to go with uh, only stupid people, but maybe that would be even worse. Digging your hole a little bit deeper there. Yeah, I was like, I suddenly had that moment where I'm like, whoa, mental <laughs> three-second delay, come back in. Whoopsie. Right. All right, well, let's jump right into it. Um, you know, we can actually... I, I just want to say I'm really glad that we put together this annual Wood Talk Online episode. <laughs> it's important to keep consistent, Shannon, and at least once we'll a year... Welcome back to the annual Wood Talk Online yeah, show. This is the 2011 version of Wood Talk Online Radio. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening, folks. Um, and well, pretty soon we're heading into the 100-year episode, much like the 100-year flood. I mean, we're on 91. How long do you think it's going to take us to get to 100? Do you <laughs> think see, that might doing... happen in 2011? I'm not really sure. Let's see. We, we were going on, what, six years, five years, something like that? Well, we're here's the good thing. 91. I mean, I, I don't really, I'm not a big fan of pod fading, you know, which is, you know, when people start a podcast and they wind up uh, stopping and just don't really say anything. Well, the good thing is we never pod fade. This show will go on forever, most likely. Oh, yeah. It yep. just may have six-month gaps between episodes. Well, yeah. I think episode 100, the good topic there would be helping Mateo choose a college. <laughs> it's actually, good. yeah, or, you know, financial advice for saving for his college fund. I mean, these are all things I could I could use help with. Um, yeah, so so we're, the thing is, it's just really tough sometimes. And frankly, now with the, with the baby this is my excuse. And, um, you know, frankly, trying to get this thing together wasn't always my fault this time. I mean, it's it's the holiday season. You guys have stuff on your plate. So, um, you know, took a little bit of wrangling, but the, all the guys are here. And we're going to do a nice little episode, pre-holiday episode, and talk about our resolutions. And not, you know, the sort of fitness resolutions. I was joking in the beginning, of course. But we're going to talk about our woodworking resolutions, things that, um, you know, maybe a little personal reflection, things that we think we might be able to improve on or we'd like to accomplish in 2012. Um, you know, but before we do that, we may as well do our um, sort of uh, roundabout uh, what's on the bench segment because uh, it has been a while since we talked about what's going on in our shops. Um, I'll do something different. I'll go first. I usually throw it to you guys, but since I'm talking, my mouth's moving. I might as well just go with it. 
with um, the, I'm just going to put it out there. This is probably really going to throw me off because I'm still running on the last episode, and it's like one of those, well, Mark always goes last, so if he's doing this, we must be moving into topics next. It's going to screw Matt oh, no. up. Matt is glued to those notes. He doesn't know how to do it if it's not in the script. Stay classy, San Diego. <laughs> exactly. Nice. We were all thinking it. Yeah, totally. Um, so my bench right now is a little bit confusing. I am doing the Rubo, so my bench looks like a couple of pieces of uh, wood on a pair of saw horses. So, um, yeah, that's really what I'm working on. Uh, the Rubo build is, well, this is the split top Rubo. So, you know, there are some differences between it and, and maybe the classic Rubo or uh, yeah, Rubo, like what, what you've got, Shannon. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, obviously building a bench is building a bench. So you're working with these massive slabs and you're just making tons. If you're using power tools, you're making tons of wood chips that are going into the bin. And I mean, I can't even tell you how many. Uh, how many bins of chips I've thrown into the garbage. It's been an insane amount of material going down the tubes, but I guess that's what you got to do when you're doing a project like this. But um, you know, this is, this is why I think people really should make a workbench and make their lifetime bench. Um, Obviously your needs change. So build one that can adapt to what you need it to do or has a flexible design because you really, really don't want to have to do this more than once. Yeah, I agree. It's expensive too. Yeah, you think it about it. Regardless yeah. of the material you choose, it's a lot of material. Well, even even without the hardware, you know, I mean, if you go for something oh, like, well, yeah, you're doubling your cost by going for you know benchcrafted hardware. But hardware aside, you're looking at, I mean, you're pushing. You could be pushing easily a thousand dollars. Yeah. I mean, if you're not careful, unless you have a good resource for big heavy timbers, or uh, you can get some good dug fir or southern yellow pine. Uh, but if you're doing maple or ash or beech or something like that, this is a pricey, pricey project. So uh, do yeah. it once, do it right, and don't worry about having to do it again. I've heard that Agreed. advice for other things in life too, but I can't remember what those are. So I guess it's kind of irrelevant to even say anything <laughs> about it. <laughs> Could very well be. Uh, so let's jump over to to Matt. I don't want to screw up your order. So let me give you a directive. Matt, what's on your bench? <laughs> Oh, no, we're starting the show. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what that little red light means. Um, (laughs) Well, more importantly, what's not on my bench is the main thing. I finally finished up the uh, shelves and and drawer unit project, which surprisingly for me, this is like the fastest thing I've ever done of this size. I I completed it in um, just under a month, and that was just like, that's record time for me. In fact, the big joke the other day was the fact that I was actually watching like TV with my family um, at, at, at a normal time. And they're all kind of like looking at me like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> we haven't seen this guy in a long time, you know, cause I was working on it every single night. But the one thing that was unique about that particular project and, uh, we, we can talk about this. I mean, I'm definitely gonna be talking about it on my own show is the fact that I used MDO for the very first time. I, well, ever. I, I was trying to think, I think I used it on a smaller project, but I was actually putting myself in your shoes, Mark, where I think you had like some ultra uh, medium density stuff that you use for like a jig or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but I had the MDO and I'm just going to throw it out there. I think this stuff is just fantastic, especially for painting and everything, but just working with it in general, really, really amazing stuff. It, it's, it, it really worked nicely even with dull blades <laughs> I mean, yeah. it just i was too lazy to kind of swap things out but it, it worked fantastic and when it came to the paint um when i put that on there it just it was amazing how nice it took the paint the the texture almost no sanding in between coats because it came out really kind of silky smooth it still needed a little sanding just to kind of you know bring it really really super silky smooth yeah but the initial That's couple cool. of coats were really just it, it felt like i was already like on like you know like three, four hundred grit sandpaper already at that point. Nice. So, what is that running a sheet for you? 
for me, uh, a four foot by eight foot sheet, three quarter inch is just under fifty dollars. That's not too bad. Yeah, and pretty good. Yeah, and it's it's comparable to just regular three quarter inch, um, uh, either oak or birch plywood. I was trying to think. I think they had maple there, but that stuff was actually cheaper. Um, And so, yeah, it was pretty nice. And And the neat thing about it was. Luckily for me, they delivered, so that made it even easier. I didn't have to worry about strapping to the top of my tracker and then getting all those dirty looks as I'm driving down the expressway. <laughs> um, so, so but is that it, was is it actually three quarters of an inch thick? It, it is actually. It was three okay. quarters. In fact, it was almost a like a, a not even a thirty second over three quarters. It wow. was just a little bit cool. thicker. That's cool. And yeah, and it, it's pretty neat. And on top of it, the uh, the, the first layers, the actual uh, resin impregnated uh, paper itself, um, it, it's pretty thick and it, it takes a beating. I, I, I do my typical dropping a lot of stuff on it in the process, tipping things over and all that type of stuff. And it it really endured. So that was one nice thing. So I'm used to with most plywoods or something that I would get from a typical home home center. Mm. They're going to either tear the, you know, the veneers are going to be just total crap sure. or uh, sometimes if with, with the wood, it'll dent or something like that. And this didn't, it took it really oh. nicely. So it can take mm. a licking and keep on ticking. What, uh, what kind of, what, I'm sorry, go ahead, Shannon. What's the weight like? It's comparable. It's just almost identical. I would say, <clears throat> excuse me. It was, uh, yeah, I would say it was identical. It's definitely, I mean, MDF is really heavy. Those those yeah. sheets are are just monstrous. And this was no different than a typical sheet of four foot by eight foot uh, plywood. Nice. Hmm. What what type cool. of paint did you wind up going with? I just ended up going with just a uh, a latex paint. Um, cool. It was uh, one I picked up from uh, Sherman Williams. So it was more of a something that when I was talking with the guys, you know, this is what we recommend for a lot of people that are going to be painting cabinets. And that was nice too, because even though, I ended up kind of uh, thinning it out. I went with I, I was reading some articles because I want to get this nice you know flow to it and stuff like that. And so I ended up buying this uh, additive called Floestrol. I think it is. It sounds more mm-hmm. like a, oh, a, the Floetrol. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah, I must be thinking of some sort of cholesterol control <laughs> thing my doctor was recommending. Oh, my cholesterol is too high. <laughs> yes, I'm gonna have to get that taken down to like only 400 milligrams. Uh, um, but so yeah, so I, I tried that, and to be honest with you, I I really didn't need it. In fact, I think that made it runnier than it really needed to be. And I I was really like, you know, they're like, you need like eight ounces for not even eight, like eight ounces, like you need like four ounces for an entire gallon. So I did like get out the calculator and like, I'm only going to do like a quart. Got to do this, got to do that. And even with the, the tiny amount, it still really made it flow too much. So hmm. I just once I got that first layer done, I just went full strength with the paint and it, it worked out great. One, I, one thing I will say, even with the full strength paint, not watered down or anything like that. The MDO will suck it up like crazy. It's almost like a sponge. No kidding. So yeah, it was weird. So the first time I put it on, I'm like, you know, I was thinking, oh, I have a tendency of putting it on really light. You know, I'm kind of a well, the last name's Dutch, so we're really cheap. And so I was putting it on, trying to spread it out. And then I really started putting on as thick as I could. And that first initial layer just sucked right into the point where you didn't even know you had paint on. Wow. It was like, hmm. wow, this was really kind of scary because I started thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to need like, you know, five gallons of this stuff. But once you got past that first layer, you know, it, it started to take the paint the way you want it to. Interesting. Because yeah, I, I so, know that stuff that, that you had referenced that, that I used, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, like a HDO type plywood. And yeah. that stuff was almost like a layer of formica or, you know, melamine on the top. And I don't know that that would take a paint a coat of paint at all. 
uh, okay. let alone absorb it. So I, I thought MDO, and, and this is just my lack of knowledge of these uh, materials, but I thought MDO would be, you know, maybe just a lighter version of that, but there's still enough resin there to almost stop it from from pulling paint in. Uh, right. But that's really interesting that it that it soaked it all in, huh? Are, yeah, are you yeah. talking about that that crosscut sled you made, Mark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is? Do you remember wasn't what that, that a, wasn't called? that a phenolic ply? No, I well, here's the thing. I didn't buy it. This was cutoffs oh, given okay. to me by my buddy who has a CNC machine, and it was like inch. Oh, what was it? Inch and an eighth or something like that. I can't remember the final dimension. Uh, but he told me that it was HDO. Okay. And he yeah, also, I'll, I'll send you some pictures of it. Maybe you could uh, tell me, um, you know, exactly what it yeah. is. But I mean, uh, that that's basically hardboard over the top, you know? The yeah. High density stuff. Yeah. Well, like I said, this stuff felt like it had a layer of plastic. I mean, it was a little bit more of a matte finish to it, you know, than, than you would have with a melamine surface or formica, but um, perfect surface for a jig because, you know, things slide right across it. Um, and right. the layers of the ply were just insanely thick, about an eighth of an inch each. Um, okay. Yeah. So really intense stuff. But, Anywho, well, that that's very cool. Sounds like a, a good project, and paint is always fun when you don't have yes. to worry about you know, <laughs> all those little details. Yeah, the the only thing with it is coming up with some sort of edge banding for it. And what I ended up doing was actually I just I just used veneer. Well, really, I I, I used part of the uh, uh, the MDO kind of cut it to a wider strip because I want to give it a little bit thicker face frame kind of a thing, but. Even on those on the exposed edges, I ended up just using regular veneer, and it worked out perfectly fine hmm. because, unfortunately, there is no MDO edge banding. That'd be really cool if they had something like that. <laughs> just that but, top layer for you? Yeah, exactly. They're like, uh, it's a do-it-yourself kit. Just get the powder. Just kind of mix it up yourself. Spread it on. Put it in your wife's oven. You'll be set for a while. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, it turned out great. And the nice thing was when the clients came to get it, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to have to drag this over there myself. I don't know how we're going to get it there. They showed up with this big monster trailer and they loaded it themselves. In fact, the nice thing was they put the first initial scratches on it. So I didn't have to worry about it. I just sat here going, you're going to scratch. Oh, you did it. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> so I gave him the can of paint to go with it. And But the nice thing was that that paint actually um, it only had like three or four layers on it because I kept thinking I got to add more, got to add more. And it, it that, that particular paint held out really nicely too. So it is very scar resistant, which is nice because this is going in their, their uh, daughter's playroom. Mm. She's like one and a half, I think. And this playroom is monster. It's bigger than my shop. So <laughs> Stella and I are going to have, have a little conversation. Cool, cool. <laughs> but that's about all I have going on. So I guess that means it's over to Shannon. Yep. Process of elimination. Very good, Matt. <laughs> no one else here. <laughs> um, uh, the, and the next person, uh, the prize winner tonight of the live <laughs> Wood Chat Online guest spot. Hey, guys. <laughs> uh, let's see. You know, for, for wow, I didn't even know how long. I actually don't have anything on my bench right now. Wow. Um, you know, what, other. What? I mean, I've got, well, that's not true. I've got all kinds of crap on my bench, but. It's just because I need to clean it off. No last minute uh, holiday projects or anything? You know, last weekend I finished everything. Wow. And, you know, I, I I put a post up on my blog about, you know, easy wood tools because I'm just digging those things in my lathe now. And I couldn't believe how fast I got through all these various projects. I even threw in some extra stuff because I was just having so much fun. I'm like, well, hell, here's a block of wood. I'll uh, turn a bowl, you know? <laughs> nice. And it was just it was just nuts. I mean, I, it's not an easy wood tools commercial, but I, it's, it's the better mousetrap. There's no other way to put it. Well, I, mean, I was going to ask you because a lot of people will give, uh, especially purists, will give people crap for using them. So, yep. so tell me what you like about them. They're idiot proof. <laughs> well, in that case, I got to get me some. <laughs> I mean, it it is. It's one of those things where um, 
you know, trying to decide, do I use the spindle gouge here? Do I use a roughing gouge? Do I need a bowl gouge? What's the geometry of the bevel here? And having trouble, you know, keeping rubbing the bevel through any myriad of cut. You know, if, if you're cutting a bowl, you're cutting a bead or a cove on a spindle, that bevel's got to ride that the whole time or mm -hmm. you end up running the risk of not only tearing out the wood but getting a catch or something like that. Sure. Um, I got to the point where in my spindle work where I basically ditched all that and I went straight to a skew, you know, and shaped everything with a skew. Well, a skew still scares me, you know I mean? Because when you talk about catches gone bad. And yeah, that frankly, can go bad in a dramatic fashion. Yeah. And, you know, I'll be honest, I'm just not a very good turner. I mean, it, so, and I, I, I think I wrote this in my blog post. It's one of those things you hear the whole like festival domino thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's awesome. Well, yeah, you just stick the machine, you dig a hole, you punch the domino and you're good to go. You know I mean? Are you skipping out at a bunch of skills there? And it's, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, there, there are probably a lot of things if you got into more advanced turning, especially kind of like the David Marx-ish artistic type turning, yeah. you know, hang out on the wall and call it art. Um, that I'm sure there will be areas where you can't, you can't make those work. But for this typical type of stuff that I do for furniture making mm -hmm. and for, you know, the Christmas time rush of making the bowl and, you know, turning a pepper mill or, or just little, all the little projects you find in catalogs like Penn state and craft supplies, those little things that people just dig, you know, I mean, you can buy eight of them for $4 a piece and you turn them all in one night and make all of your colleagues happy, you know, that type of stuff. It's just perfect because I, I end up not having to focus on the bevel angle, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and, and, and frankly, not having to focus on my poor turning skills. I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah. So it, it's just one of those things that if you don't turn that much and you really don't plan to turn that much, it opens up turning to you. It's not, it's now something that doesn't necessarily require you to go through that learning curve. And, and, you know, that hurts me to say that, you know, cause like my entire hand tool school principle <laughs> is based around the learn the fundamentals, you know, in order to get better at the other stuff. Right. So right. it, it really, I, I understand I'm being hypocritical by saying that, but I just, I'm, I'm not a turner. I just don't see myself being much of a turner, but now I can, where, where I could make spindles before for something like a Windsor chair, I could do them in half the time yeah. because th there's no rotating the tool. There's no any of that stuff. It's just kind of push it and trace it in the arc that you want to do. So I, I think that's a fair assessment, man, because, you know, for someone like me in a similar situation, I'm not a great turner either. I only turn when I need to, really, if I need something for a particular project. Um, so when I do it, uh, you know, it's kind of like any other skill. If you don't do it a lot, you can't expect yourself to be really good at it. So if there's yeah. a tool out there that sort of can serve as a little bit of a handicap for someone who doesn't do this all the time, but still needs to get good results um, and not really fuss too much. I don't know. I think I think it's a, a really good product. Uh, what we're yeah. talking about, just in case, it's called uh, Easy Wood Tools is the name of the company. It's at easywoodtools.com if you want to check it out. Uh, and they've got, um, what do they have, like four different models, it looks like, the rougher, finisher, detailer, and the hollower. Um, yeah. And they're just, uh, you know, kind of a different take on turning tools. Now, the one thing I'll say, because I am a hand tool guy and I do have a treadle lathe on the drawing board um, to be built in my shop, I don't know, and I've heard some words say that the carbide turners, uh, carbide tools, may not work as well for you know the the hand or foot driven lathe. 
I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You're not getting the same type of speed as you would on that. Um, it may be that, you know, a traditional tool would be better for something like that. Yeah. I think the issue that I've just run into, again, just not being the um, accomplished turner is there is no, well, and I, I don't have a big fancy lathe that has incredible variable speed that you can dial the speed down really, really low. So it's either fast or faster for me. <laughs> so, you know, when, when that's, that's nerve wracking, you know, I, I've had conversations with Kerry Holtman about this, you know, it, it's a little scary because <laughs> yeah. when something goes wrong, it goes wrong catastrophically. And, you know, and that is something that these easy wood tools kind of eliminate. Now, um, I, I've turned plenty of traditional tools using uh, a pedal-driven lathe when I've done volunteer work, mm -hmm. and that's no problem. So that may be because I'm able to slow down. I mean, you can actually slow down on a foot-driven lathe to the point where you can actually watch the shaving peel off, you know, like mm -hmm. one RPM, <laughs> that type of thing. Right. You know, that that you have a lot more control and a lot more comfort, I guess. So. You know, I may be eating my words once I get my treadle lathe built and I'll be going back to my traditional wood turning tools. But, you know, I don't know. There's just something about being able to say, hey, I can I can turn a bowl. I can, you know, uh, pins, I think, is where most people start. Um, but you can progress beyond the simple pin turning very, very quickly and do it with like two tools. That's pretty cool. Well, and I think, it, you know, as time goes on, if you want to refine your techniques and you want to get into some other things, you could do a lot of the rough work uh, and get yeah. pretty close to your final result and then just finesse everything with, uh, you know, the more advanced stuff, work your way into it. Yeah, that is one thing I'll say, the, the roughing tool, it's it's pretty sick how fast it turns a square blank into something round. Yeah. So if, cool. you, if you just use it for that, because obviously your roughing gouge gets a beating yeah. and you're constantly resharpening that one. So in this instance, you've got a carbide, you know, edge that you can just turn and, you know, replace it when the time comes. So right. cool. anyway, I totally ended up into an easy wood tool commercial and that's not what I intended it to be. <laughs> right. It was, it was just one of those epiphanal moments when I was like, wow, this is cool. This changed the way I work wood. Right. Lay, anyway, which was which was pretty neat right and all so. uh turning purists you can send your uh emails to shannon at uh... <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and, and, and you know what's shocking the chat right now <laughs> what, what's totally shocking is i wrote this blog post basically just saying what i just said and so far it's been nothing but people saying oh yeah those are cool i want to invest in that i haven't gotten any hate mail yet so i'm waiting i'm waiting for that bomb to drop because i know I mean, turners, let's just face it. Some of the wood accomplished wood turners I know, I mean, they're amazing what they can do. I mean, yeah. this is truly the artistic side of things. I have the utmost respect for them, which is not one of them. <laughs> it's just don't, <laughs> never going to be one of those guys. I lack that aesthetic ability, I guess. Nothing but. wrong with that. You know, it's yeah. whenever I see turning done, it reminds me of, um, you know, people doing like clay, uh, clay art. And a lot of yeah. it is very artsy. You know, you have to sort of envision things in the round and um, I don't know, it takes a certain artistic touch and some people have it, some people don't. So um, yeah. I agree, I'm the same way. I, I, I can't really think in those terms, but someone like, you know, some of these fantastic turners, people like David Marks, I think they think on a, a very different level. They definitely fall into that artistic category uh, that a lot of us don't, so. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the same thing form. as, 
Yeah. We, when you when you see that we, the you hear the people talking about like when it comes to carving like I just let the wood tell me what it wants to be I'm like <laughs> no you're gonna be a face and it's gonna go here and the mouth's gonna go there <laughs> the tree gnome was in the block I just had to remove the wood that wasn't part of the tree gnome I'm like yeah that's that's, that's BS <laughs> yeah I, I look at a piece of wood and all I see is something I wanted to you know not be this right right all right well let's move on into our main feature which would be also our only feature today. And <laughs> that is talking about our woodworking resolutions for 2012. And um, I've got some things, you know, I've been doing a lot of inner reflection lately since I can't get as much shop time as I'd like. So, you know, try to drown out the uh, noise of a crying baby, you start to think about things and uh, like what you want to do with your career. And now it's time for deep thoughts. <laughs> deep thoughts. That's right. Um, so I've got a lot of things, but you know what? I want to hear from you guys first, because actually this was um, Shannon's idea initially to to do this. So Shannon, what are you thinking about doing for, for 2012? What, how do you want to grow as a woodworker? How do I want to grow? Um, well, you want to become I, a better I, turner? <laughs> hell no. I got easy wood tools. No. <laughs> All right. Now you may send the hate mail. Go for it. <laughs> Um, I, I usually try, I try to take at least one class a year and that's been really, really hard. Um, and to this day, I still have never taken a woodworking class. That's more than like two days long. I just, I I just can't get away and do it. I'm so so glad somebody else is in that same, but I'm the same way. It's like one of those, everybody talks about, I took this amazing week long class and we came together and sing Kumbaya in the middle of it. And (laughs) we had this amazing experience out in the woods. And I'm like, dude, I went for a weekend and I smelled like crap the whole time there. (laughs) It's tough. That's a long time. I mean, yeah. even if you have the time and you don't necessarily have like home responsibilities calling you back, it still is tough just to be away for five straight days and do nothing but that woodworking class. Yeah. Well, I mean, the biggest thing, well, I mean, where, where I work now, I mean, I've only been at um, the lumber yard for a year. So I'm, I'm on the low end of the ladder as far as seniority and paid leave. And, you know, I've got colleagues that have been there for 40 some years. Yeah. So, you know, I'm lucky if I get a couple of days off, but I mean, before that, and I was, I'd been with a company for 15 years and I had like six weeks of vacation, but being able to take vacation time and explain to my wife, oh, yeah, honey, I'm going to disappear for a week. It's and, me time. <laughs> you know, you're left taking care of the dog and walking the dog. I mean, I don't even have kids for God's sake, but well, yeah. other than the furry four-legged one, you right. know, and it's 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 hard, you know. So um, this year I'm actually going to do it. Um, I have built I've built three Windsor chairs and they all have been through one of them was like a kit like you built, Mark. Um, yeah. Uh, I didn't, I didn't get it from Highland. It was uh, from the colonial chair company. Okay. The other one was actually from a class that I took from Woodcraft also by the colonial chair company. And, um, we, uh, you know, we, we saddled the seat. We did all the spindles from rough planks. We turned, um, one leg cause the, there just wasn't time. It was a three day class. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we saw how an arm was steam bent, but we didn't actually do the steam bent. <laughs> oh, that's you very know? neat to look at. <laughs> so basically it was like assembling it and using a spoke shave to make some spindles. Okay. And now then, remember, if you do this at home, this is going to be hot, so don't touch it right now. Yeah, right, so right. One step above the kit. The, the last one I built, I actually got to steam bend the bow, but the arm, these are sack, um, sack back chairs. The arm was already bent, so mm-hmm. I had to bend the bow and uh, I got to turn the legs, you know, and the other stuff. So I have yet to build a Windsor chair starting from the log, you know, splitting it out, riving the wood, 
going all the way down to, you know, the shave horse to a finished chair. And I've wanted to do it for the longest time. And I was planning on going up to the Windsor Institute. And I come to find out that not even Michael Dunbar does that, you know, because he's got big classes and he does all of his writhing at like one part in the year and they just don't do any of that anymore. Okay. So um, why am I surprised? Roy Underhill to the rescue, the Woodwright shop. And um, uh, Elia Bazzari, or I can't remember his name now, the guy that does the Windsor, the, the Windsor instructor at the Woodwright shop does a six-day class and you start with a log. I don't think you actually fell the tree, but you start with a log and you split it you know, you arrive out the pieces, you go to the shave horse and you, you leave with a continuous arm Windsor chair. And that just sounds awesome. That is pretty awesome. So, um, even more awesome is my wife is psyched about this. She's been like looking up the Pittsburgh, North Carolina chamber of commerce. She's like, what a cool little town. Can't wait for this. We've like, she's like found the best little hotel. She's already picked out the books she's going to take, you know, that really so, is the way to do it. I mean, if, if you can oh, find yeah. a school that at least has something in the area for your significant other to do, and you just kind of make it something where, okay, I'm going to be doing this during the day, but we can go out and have a nice dinner at night and we can go see things. And yeah. I mean, that definitely makes it a whole lot easier and easier to justify yeah so cool. you know long story short i've signed up now i've just got to wait until august which sucks well another <laughs> thing that's a deterrent is the cost so i'm curious what what did that wind up running you oh my god i i don't know how roy makes his money his classes are like two to three to like five hundred dollars cheaper than anybody else well they're in a, like you know 19 uh, eight, the 1800s money. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right you know, so it's worth it's a lot more to pricing him. him and doctor <laughs> who have this deal worked out where actually before you get there you step in a tardis and you <laughs> nice. suddenly reappear hey that's reason to go for nothing else yeah so the woodworking so, class i'm going in a tardis i was too busy making a joke what how much yeah. is it again um uh, now you're gonna <laughs> put me on the spot i want to say it's like 700 dollars. that's not bad at all are you kidding me for six days yeah and that includes i know i think there's an extra price for materials i don't remember now but regardless most classes i know that are week long are in the 12 to 1500 range mm -hmm. yeah you know um I've, I've wanted to take a week-long class with chuck bender for a long time and i know that I'm looking for thirteen to fifteen hundred dollars, and it's not that Chuck is really expensive. That's just kind of the way it is. It sounds well, um, expensive, but when you break it down on a daily level, oh yeah, um, that's a lot to expect a place to be open for you know eight or ten hours for that day, right. and to to let you have this opportunity to use the machines and stuff. So it's seriously, you know, it's it's a well, lot of time. And, well, and this is the difference with like the three day or two day class and the week long class. I'm actually going to leave with something, you know, hmm. instead of like. Uh, Nothing, you know, <laughs> you, you leave. That's when frustrating. I left, uh, yeah. Yeah. When I left uh, Chuck Bender shop the last time, when I took a class with Matt Bickford, I left with a couple of moldings. You know, I was like, <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> you know, it was cool. And I learned a lot, but I had nothing to show for it, which going back to the whole spousal issue, it's like, so you were just gone for three days. What'd you do? <laughs> right, right. Like, I got this stick. It's got a purdy <laughs> curve on it. You know, that doesn't really, that doesn't really fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so one, th well, one thing I was thinking is, is, is it possible just th that whole price thing? Is it because of the fact maybe that like his insurance is lower or something or his overhead is a little bit lower since everything is supposedly hand tool versus power tool? Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe. Something with that. Maybe, although I question that because it's still very, very sharp tools. And from someone who cuts himself daily. You know, it's, 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 I can't imagine an insurance company would go, oh, don't worry about it. 
Yeah, maybe the, maybe the insurance guy when he shows up to do the evaluation, they actually have somebody else step in to pretend that they're Roy. They're like, dude, dude no, no, you go back there and cover up those hands. <laughs> well, you know the thing is, he, Roy has uh, Roy has all that PBS TV money, so he doesn't need any extra money. You know? <laughs> so he's good to go. <laughs> we all benefit. But that's cool. So that's in August. Um, that's wow. That is a long time to have to wait. Huh? Yeah, it's a long time away. So, you know, there, there's, there's lots of little things that I, you know, want to do better and stuff, but my biggest resolution is to finish stuff. <laughs> I mean, you mean like literally get something done or to put a finish I'm, on it. I'm pathetic. It's ridiculous. Overachiever. I mean, <laughs> But let's let's forget about for the hand tool school members in the chat room. Let's forget about the hand tool cabinet that's long overdue. That will be done by the end of the year. It's it, I, I will go off the air if I don't get it done by the end of the year. It's just ridiculous. But you remember the very first guild build, the shaker table? Yes. And there was that um, <laughs> Queen Anne version that I made. Yeah, I do yes. remember. <laughs> yes. I don't have finish on it. What? <laughs> it just never happened. What? It's it's done. It's it's like smooth planed. It's absolutely beautiful. It's sitting in the corner in my basement, and I um I specifically went out and bought the uh, the Erlix. The mm -hmm. I can never get the the little one. Yeah. You know, that comes in its own little carrier. I can never get the numbers the right. Five thousand, I think it is. Yeah, whatever. Um, I specifically be, be bought it for yeah. that. Nice. Um, so, well, now it has a nice natural patina to yeah. it, right? <laughs> the funny part is, is I've used the Erlix like 20 times for other things, and yeah. I just have never sprayed that uh, that little table. So that technically isn't done. Okay. The woodworking's done. The hardware's even on it. Um, I have another table. Actually, if you went to my blog and you looked under projects for, uh, I think I called it like a, a Hepplewhite side table. Mm -hmm. I did right. one episode on it on showing how to put in inlay. Um, not only that, I have footage, like seven hours of footage on this table doing stringing on drawer fronts and things like that. Yeah. And I just need to finish it. I need to finish putting the stringing in and cut a couple of dovetails and put a finish on it and it's done. That's sitting right next to the queen Anne table. It's just ridiculous. You know, it's because of things, other things, mainly things like hand tool school and podcasts and work and stuff like that, that got in the way. Yeah. And it's just kind of sad that stuff needs to get finished. So I have <laughs> I have this big stupid finishing. <laughs> damn finish. I have this big list and it's not even like a bucket list of I must do that. It's like the next six projects. And frankly, they're not that difficult. Just things that I've wanted to build for a while. Yeah. And I've just told myself I'm not even gonna touch them until I get those, you know, finish put on the Queen Anne table and the woodworking done on the side table finish put on that you know because it's it's just ridiculous <laughs> there's you no know, excuse I, for it. I, i'm thinking that 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 table is actually it's like your version of dorian gray's painting and the <laughs> yeah. table is getting older but you're gonna stay young and youthful <laughs> and you'll be able to continue this forever so so 30 40 years down the road your videos will still be coming out and they'll be like is this a repeat i mean look how great he <laughs> right. looks he looks so good well that's or, one thing listen, that no, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Matt. I was going to say, or this is the curse of coming on Wood Talk Online. One yeah. of us was going to rub off on you. Unfortunately, it wasn't Mark. It was me. <laughs> well, I, I have the opposite situation. I can't move on to another project until the other one is completely done. Like if I oh, have a, not, 
I mean, if I have a project sitting there that's unfinished, it will drive me nuts until I get it done out of the shop and then I can sort of wipe the slate clean and move on to the next thing. I have I have zero partially completed projects in my shop. I don't know. No yeah, way. I, know. I, I could ignore stuff for years. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why we haven't had a show in well over a month. I have ignored the please. <laughs> what show? We do an audio show? Wasn't even aware of that. <laughs> well, you know, that's one thing that I'll say um, – you know, Mark, you can relate to this. When when you started the guild and when I started the hand tool school, when I look at what I've actually built and finished there, there's a lot. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. all these all these jigs and shop projects, and there were two projects in this semester that are done that I finish on them. Mm -hmm. One of them's actually been sold. Um, so it's like that was. There's something very cool about finishing a project. Yeah, there know, is. Getting it done, moving out of the shop, and letting people ooh and ah over it, and you know, doing that over the last year in the hand tool school was like, man, I really I need to do more of this. So, you know, I've been saying for a while that I want to build more projects on the Renaissance Woodworker. Just want to build more projects in general. Um, but I, I want to build and finish more projects in general. Yeah. So I've got a, a very kind of short list of things that I want to tackle in the next year, and I'm not going to add anything to it. I'm come hell or high water. I'm getting those done. Nice. Actually, yeah. if you want to, we we can right now form a, a union of sorts that says we will never put finish on a project. We should be have like the unfinished movement. And we'll just, you know, from this point forward, we'll, we'll do a little, you know, we'll put together like a little pledge. Maybe we'll uh, uh, somehow like swap blood. But we'll have to do it long distance. So I'll get a vial. <laughs> you get a vial. We'll just prick our fingers uh, with a, a, dull, a dull chisel because I'm behind on getting anything done like that because I just never finish anything. Yeah. And we'll just go that route. The, the unfinished furniture union. That sounds good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, Matt, what about you, dude? <laughs> uh, well, the big thing in my my big resolution that I have is um, it's along the lines of like wanting to finish a project or two. But my my main thing is that I need to redo my shop in the sense that we've we've talked before about like you know getting the shop set up and how we kind of change things around a little bit for our, our workflow and how things change a little bit. And I have come to the conclusion that the way I have things set up right now is probably the worst thing I've ever done in my, you know, in my shop setup ever. And I just keep progressively making it worse as it goes on. And it's simply because of the fact that I haven't made any steps to, to make it better kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. The, um, when you get to the point that it's not unusual with a smaller shop that of course things have to double up as storage space on top of a bench or on top of a little cabinet you have here or there. But when you get to the point that 75% of your time is moving crap out of the way so you can put other crap on top of it so you can move crap someplace else so you can get a free space, <laughs> yeah. that's when it really starts telling you something's wrong and you need to do something about it. So uh, what I've been doing is a lot of times I've just been sitting there <laughs> staring at the walls, literally uh, picturing, you know, this would look better over here. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to start with moving my, my lumber rack to a completely different wall. One that, number one, when I bring my lumber in, uh, it's already kind of tricky enough as it is getting it around down the stairs and then around the door without knocking everything down in the process, mm -hmm. which is not a good thing when your wife's business has like all her expensive lenses right, right <laughs> where you, near your door. Nice. <laughs> so um, so I, I can't do much about that. But what I can do is when I do bring them in, uh, rather than taking them all the way down to the opposite end of the shop and then trying to turn and try to get things in place. I'm going to move my lumber rack so it's it's much closer to where I first come in, which actually the way that when I'm assembling things, when I'm at my bench and everything, it would just make more sense if it was in that one particular area. And then 
I can set up my tools. Like right now, I've got the the drill press, I've got the the bandsaw, and I have my router table all pushed up against this one wall. They're all on rollers, but the problem is even when I go to use them, I spend more time trying to get stuff out of the way and pull those into position and then try and get a cord set up and the dust collection where if I now take the stuff where my lumber rack was, take that now available wall, I can easily set all three of those machines in places where they're more permanent than they are where they are right now. And I can actually have electrical hookup and stuff. So I can once again start making more use of my time versus constantly having to move because nothing is worse than uh, I, I start making a cut with my bandsaw and suddenly realize, oh, wait, okay, now I, I've got all these cuts out of the way. Now I need to move this back out. <laughs> oh, God, i got to unhook the, the dust collection and i got to do this. And, That's a pain oh, yeah. in the butt, dude. It is. It's horrible. And like there. I said, it's it's 75% of my time is spent just doing that. And then on top of it, trying to film it for the show, <laughs> you know, it's like one of those, all right, I have 5% of my time to actually make the cut. Here goes. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's that's definitely a good thing. So, I mean, it's interesting with the shop evolution stuff where you work in a space long enough and suddenly, you know, the light bulb goes on and you're like, wait a minute, why haven't I been doing this the whole time? This makes so much more right. sense. And then it's just, you know, that much more efficient. But it always seems like you always discover these things. And I don't think I'll ever be done, you know, quote unquote, improving my shop space and organization. Right. No, and I think if you get to that point where suddenly you're like, oh, this is the perfect, you know, final resting spot for everything. It's like one of those, maybe you're missing something. You really, you can continue to make improvements, just minor ones, you know, just small things here and there. And it will definitely still help to make a big difference. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, and it's funny because I don't know why I didn't think about it before, but like where I have my lumber rack right now, most of the time when I'm bringing things over, a big part of the reason why I'm bringing them over is because I don't have an electrical outlet on that side of the room. Mm. So I got to bring them over to where it is. And it suddenly dawned on me the other day. I'm like, you're a friggin' idiot. There's an electrical outlet behind one of the areas <laughs> where you have the lumber. Why are you? And it's, it was, it, there was a whole thing where my wife thought that I had company because I was yelling at somebody. <laughs> In fact, it was me. <laughs> like, Matt, that was like the most intelligent conversation I've ever heard you have. It pretty much was like that too. <laughs> so yeah, so it was, it was pretty bad, but that's, that's like my, my, my big thing. And, it, and it's one of those, I, I'm really gonna, of course, I'm gonna bring everybody along with me on the ride for this whole thing. So I'm sure it's going to be a hell of a ride at some point, or it's going to be the most boring thing ever. And I get done on a weekend, but I'm not that motivated. So <laughs> right. we're going to, have to like stretch this out a little bit and figure out what I want to do because this time I, I want to do it the right way so that when I do make improvements down the road and there are improvements that are going to come, it's just that financially and also to some degree time-wise, now that my kids are getting older, it's funny, when your kids are first born, they eat up all your time. When your kids start hitting like teenage and stuff like that, they eat up all your time. But that's because when they're babies, you know where they are. When they're teenagers, you're like, where the hell are they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you're out looking for them all the time or you're trying to make up excuses so that they have to stay home with you so that you can keep an eye on them. Nice. Um, but that's the thing. It's like trying to find that, that, that right amount of time and then also you know the financial things a little bit further down the road to really make the major improvements that I want to. Sure. Um, but now yeah, I'm that's... In designing this, how much thought do you put into um, the podcast and filming? Absolutely none, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> I, I'm just going to bring It's like one of those, oh, I should put a camera up here. <laughs> you know, but do, do you mean like like where, where to set up the camera or just like show everybody what's happening? <laughs> um, aesthetics, I guess. Okay. Um, for instance, and, and Mark, I don't know if this was your plan or not, but when you put up that extra wall, mm-hmm. 
um, with the, the the kind of wooden wall behind you, it right. frames out the shot really nicely. Mm-hmm. Right. And I found myself thinking that way because, Matt, I'm in the same boat. I, I mean, in, in fact, I've already sold a bunch of tools in order to pay for the shop improvement. I went the Schwartz way. And um, I'm actually going to put up um, a, a faux wall over top of the cinder block, mainly so that it's easier to hang stuff. But the thought of, hey, I should make it look pretty too, is <laughs> yes. me because won't that look nice in the background of the, the camera shot? <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, it's just kind of another level that suddenly you realize, hey, you know, it, I'm not the only one in the shop. I've got, you know, all these people on the camera here at the same time. So it's... Right. Well, you know, that is a good point because actually um, been doing some of the tool reviews for with the company toolselect.com. And uh, when they came in to do some some footage, it was one of the things was like one of those your lighting in here really sucks. <laughs> like, really? I have only been dealing with it for how many years now? And that was one discussion that came up was like, you know, have you ever thought about doing this or adding this, you know, little change to your background or something? And on top of it, with the, the cinder block walls, I mean, mine are basically, believe it or not, they're white. It doesn't really show up as white in the shows or anything. But typically you'd think, all right, that white's going to help bounce the light. It's going to make it easier to see things, especially when you're using, like, hand tools and stuff. But you get the wrong, the wrong fluorescent bulbs in there, and that white <laughs> light is only, like, the most blaring god-awful. I feel like I'm at the Arctic, and I need, like, you know, glacier glasses huh. to keep from going blind sometimes. It's it's really pathetic. Yeah. So, you know, that's one thing. I, I, I have toyed a little bit with that, like, you know, maybe if I do this to help kind of ease the lighting situation. Well, you know, just one thing I've learned, white, stay away from it if you're filming anything. Um, the white tends to trip your um, auto automatic iris settings and yeah. will, will dim the entire picture to oh, adjust yeah. for the bright white. So if you take it off white, and that's that's primarily why I went with that wood background, not, not only that, but it also makes it easier uh, to hang stuff too. Um, but nothing looks better on camera, you know, than than a wooden background. It's just so much softer and easier on the eyes, and and it makes it a little, you know, more forgiving for the type of lighting you have. Um, you know, and I wonder if if you're not, I mean, I don't want to get on a tangent of what we do for filming because it's of limited right. interest. But oh, you mean like why I stopped wearing my white shirt that makes me look like a giant billboard and therefore washes out everything? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no white shirts. But as as just woodworkers. Um, would you think white walls might be the best option? I know you're saying there's a little bit of uh, a glare action that you might be concerned with, but obviously light reflection uh, and getting the most out of a limited light situation is probably a good thing. But should you go with bright white or would you just want to go with something that's a little bit off white? You know, I wonder if it's even just a matter of like strategically locate. Like if I had a white ceiling, that would really bounce the light back down versus having like the white walls. Cause to me, the, the white walls, the, the really uh, uh, bright white walls are just, it's, it's overkill. It just really, um, regardless of the filming and everything else, it almost seems like it, it's, it glares too much in my opinion, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. I go with more like a nice egg. Well, and I think you yeah. got the, the gloss is a major problem. I know. Well, the good thing is in a wood shop, even if you have gloss on the walls, it's not going to be glossy for long. <laughs> yeah, it's right. going to have a nice fine <laughs> coat of dust on yeah. it. Oh, nice. this is nice. Is this, is this stucco? No, that's uh, sawdust. <laughs> and yeah, I, I do have to apologize. Both my dogs and my uh, my son are making noise in the background. So if you hear that, that's what that is. And that will probably be a fixture for <laughs> for the the time being with wood talk. With the occasional Air Force flyby. Uh, yeah, you know, this time of night, fortunately, they usually take it easy, but they, they can go as late as 11 o'clock, which is fantastic. Nice. All right. You know what? Before I go into uh, to my New Year's resolution, which I'll make very quick because I think dinner is almost ready, I actually have a Tom's tip. 
And Ooh, what? Yeah, I know, right? And I didn't send this to you guys ahead of time. Um, so if you want to listen to the stream, go ahead. Uh, here we go. Tom's tip. Tom's tips. That's right. I said Tom's tips. I didn't say Tom's lips. I said Tom's tips. Hello, everyone. It's Tom Iavino from Tom's Workbench, and it's time for another one of Tom's tips. So you have applied that gorgeous top coat of oil-based finish. Pretty proud of yourself, aren't you? Of course, it would have been great if you had put on a pair of gloves before you got that finish all over your hands. How do you get clean? No need to reach for caustic solvents. Try scrubbing up with a little cooking oil. The oil will get the goo off your hands, and then you can wash that off with a little dish soap and warm water. There, good as new. Are you looking for a good time that involves woodworking? Hey, who isn't? You can connect with woodworkers from around the corner or around the world at the Wood Talk Online community. Just visit woodtalkonline.com and let the fun begin. Well, there you go. A little bit of kitchen oil is all it takes to get that oily gook off your hands. And you replace the original oily gook with a different type of oily gook. Uh, <laughs> that's, which... that's a really good tip. If I ever apply a finish, I'll remember it. <laughs> that's right, Shannon. <laughs> so, yeah, sometime this year, Shannon will be uh, going to get some olive oil and bring it yeah, down to the Yeah, if you apply shop. that finish, you're immediately out of the unfinishers club. <laughs> Does it have to be extra virgin olive oil? Or... Uh, only the best. Only the best oh, for your nice. hands. Absolutely. Nice. All right. Well, thanks for that, Tom. Tom'sworkbench.com is where you can get more information on the the, the crap that Tom is talking about, and uh, he won't be offended by that at all. All right. Nope. So, uh, so for me, I'm I'm actually along the lines of what you know Shannon was talking about. You know, thinking about things that I want to do for myself as a woodworker. Um, and I know you know Matt and and Shannon, you guys probably have a similar situation, and maybe other bloggers who are really, really intensely into the blogging process can relate to this where when you start teaching this stuff and you're so focused on showing other people techniques, um, you tend to gravitate toward things that are more in your uh, comfort zone. And mm -hmm. it's easier to obviously easier to teach and demonstrate something that you have um, some experience with. So what that tends to do is it tends to make you a little bit stagnant where you like you really aren't progressing all that much for your own woodworking and your own uh, advancement in the craft. And that's something I've become extremely aware of uh, in the last year. So part of my goal is, to, you know, to try and figure out a balance for all this stuff. So um, uh, the projects that I cover on the Wood Whisperer site and in the Guild are things that are really going to start to push my my personal, you know, exploration into woodworking a little bit more. Uh, and that, that does include also taking a class. I really want to make this the year that I finally take uh, the Maloof-inspired rocker class over at the, the William Eng School. Um, I am picking up my old clients and I have that one, you know, you guys know the summer of Wangi story. Um, mm -hmm. my one, one client that I had that was not afraid to pay the, the prices that I asked, always wanted me to do my best work, never wanted to take shortcuts and loves to use exotic woods. So, I mean, this is like a, a dream customer and, and frankly, I, I don't even want to charge him anything if I'm going to do video of it. You know, it's like I'm getting a lot out of it too. Um, but he's got a few things. He has a whole bedroom set that he wants me to do. And he wants to use, uh, I forget what the other species is, but one of them he wants to use is Babinga, uh, which I'm nice. a big fan of. So, nice. yeah, so that's something I'm going to jump into. And it's like, look, I, I, when I first started the Wood Whisperer, it was all about really just making stuff for my customers, but I was documenting it. And I thought it might be a good sales tool 
Uh, but then obviously things changed and that turned out to be the more profitable thing. So I started doing the videos primarily. Um, and I really want to get back to focusing on things like that because those projects for certain clients can really, those push me as well and, and challenge right. me to meet this customer's expectations. And I want that to be part of what I demonstrate on the show. Um, well, and, and how many, how many bloggers, podcasters are actually really doing that? You know, I mean, we, yeah. we find that we kind of, you cater to the, to the, to masses in a lot of respects. And if you do really, really advanced stuff, you alienate some people. We talked about this with the magazines, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, the largest oh, yeah. portion of their, their viewership, readership are, are beginners. And I, I'm curious, Mark, how much, how many people actually still watch the, um, that little side table you made? Remember that thing that was like the, oh. the floating top? Oh, oh, the it was like a 12-part episode yeah. series. I mean, that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen you do. The whole process, the design process, just how it kind of grew out of this. And I would, that was I would just put a that, really cool piece of furniture. I would put the design process in quotes because <laughs> it was basically <laughs> okay. I had an idea and I muddled through it. I mean, I am no designer, but... But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm kind of like the Jackson Pollock designer. I just put a <laughs> canvas on the wall and just throw shit throws, at it. Throw pieces of wood at it in whatever shape it turns out into. Um, yeah, that was that was definitely fun, you know. And I think and I think a lot of people do miss that about uh, about my episodes and, and covering that sort of a lengthy exploration into a particular project. Um, so so I appreciate that feedback because that's 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 kind of where I'm hoping to head into. And instead of doing the magazine thing, instead of saying, well, yeah. you know what, I need to do a basic project because those get the most views. And frankly, they do. Um, I really need to go where my craft is telling me to go. And I can honestly say that I haven't really improved myself as a woodworker other than reinforcing the things I already know. Um, I stopped really, you know, one, a couple of different techniques that were really, really intriguing to me that I wanted to start to push my personal limits on are uh, not, not only veneering, but also bent lamination. And these oh, are yeah. things that I, I really cut those out of, of my uh, thinking for the last couple of years, frankly. And it drives me nuts to think that I haven't even used my um, vacuum press that I have because I've been so focused on the business and getting, you know, uh, trying to make sure we have enough for the average woodworker to be able to jump in and make a project. And I'm like, you know right. what? That's not what people are really watching the show for. We, we now have those and let's let those be there. And then I'm going to improve on that. I'm going to actually start to follow my own path and then see where that takes me and just do it publicly. Um, and if I make some horrible mistakes and screw up and embarrass myself, well, that's, that's kind of what I do anyway. So <laughs> you know, yeah. not shy about showing my mistakes, but that, that's my promise to myself is to, to start growing and pursuing the craft for my own, you know, destination where I need to go and not be so worried about, uh, trying to craft some sort of curriculum for people to follow. If that makes we, sense. It, you know, one thing with, with, with having like a, a client build kind of a thing. And if you do end up documenting kind of with, one nice thing about that is we can easily get into that rut, I guess, to something where you could call it, where as as podcasters, it's like one of those, well, if I was, you know, really wanted to, I could have done it this way. And maybe on the next time we build it or the next one I build, I will try it this way. Yeah. Where if you're documenting the, the, the client one or even if you're not documenting the client one, if you are building something for a client, then suddenly it's no longer like one of those. Well, if it's only like, shit, I better. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited. Oh, about sorry. That. I just gave us our rated R. Uh, no, I did uh, it already. Don't worry. Oh, about that's it. right. Yeah, and, I, and I ignore it anyway. So <laughs> we've yet to get in trouble for it. But uh... well, I'll tell you, Mark, one of the one of those projects that I would like to tackle in the next year is that um, Charles Brock 
rocking chair. Oh yeah, yeah. And yes. and talk about pushing at least for me pushing boundaries. That's got bent lamination and the rockers and all the sculpting and shaping. And of course, based on my latest tool sale, um, you know, I, it's going to be a very different build for me. Shannon, um, I have an idea. <laughs> oh, are you, now well, we have to talk about this maybe offline to get the details. Um, because obviously <laughs> now that you've teased the entire listening audience, <laughs> yeah. um, but no, what, what I just thought of is, you know, people talk about collaborative builds and all that. Um, yeah. what if we both documented us doing it? And I would certainly be more on the, the power carving power tool yeah. method. And you clearly would, uh, steer toward the hand tool method. What if we both did it? Cause I have those plans too. Um, yeah. we might need to talk to Charles Brock and see what kind of, um, flexibility we would have in terms of showing, because essentially we would be reproducing his product that he sells. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, and I don't want to, you know, I certainly wouldn't want to be on, on his bad side for that type of thing. Um, but I don't know, maybe there's something there that we could uh, work out a deal with him where, you know, people get a discount and they could build along. I'm and sure Charles would be open to that. But I mean, imagine yeah. showing both sides of that, but the, the more hand tools, oh, yeah. because I'm certainly going to use hand tools, but I'm, I'm also going to break out my power carving tools and, and really go at it. Um, right. That could be awesome and have sort of a, um, you know, a co-build. That would be you know, the, the neat thing at WIA, he he talked when when he was talking about the, the tools that he uses for building those things, he did cover both the power and the hand tool, but he didn't go into like great detail about it because he kind of mentioned the the pitfalls of both like where you know the power tool really excels at this but it falls short of that yeah. hand tool yeah. is great for this but it falls short for that so i think it's like one of those if you did have that divergence that would be like the ultimate where you know he could even like reference that and go yeah you could use that but watch what happened to shannon <laughs> or <laughs> right. watch what happened to mark you know right. well, that's you why know, you might want to avoid it <laughs> chuck and i got into this i don't remember if it was in that recorded interview i did with him or not but he talks about how much he loves a spoke shave and mm -hmm. it's probably no secret that i love using spoke shaves and he's like they're great but you know when it comes to running a class nine out of ten people end up screwing up the piece using a spoke shave yeah. i just tell them don't use a spoke shave because i mean chuck is he's a teacher for 30 some years he was a teacher so he thinks in terms of what's going to make people successful so that when they leave my class they have a finished rocker they can be proud of you know i mean and that that's cool but that's not the way that i would do this and i i've watched the the video now, Mark, are you talking about the rocker or the low chair? Either one, frankly. Okay, because I, I don't have the low chair plans. I was planning on getting them anyway, but I was going to tackle the rocker because it seemed like it had a um, a lot of different things in it. It's more so. badass anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I just added to the rated R thing, so yeah. too late. Anyway. That's that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> no, totally, and that's that's why I also one of my things was to take that. Um, that uh, class at the William Eng School. Two two things. He has the sculpted rocker there, and he has the blacker house chair. So if we wind up building from these plans and doing a, a sort of double feature on that, then I'll just switch it to take the uh, the blacker house chair, which frankly is I think is more difficult than the sculpted rocker. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, but dude, let's talk about that. Uh, cool. I think we should do something with that. I'm in. Cool. All right. Well, actually, I think that's about all we have here. And frankly, looking at the time, I should probably go because my schedule is a little tighter these days than it used to be. <laughs> yeah, gee, I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> Things are a little different over here. Um, yeah. So with that, I think we're going to close it out. We, uh, okay. of course, want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays and a Happy New Year. And, Merry New Year. Yes, that. And uh, Happy Festivus for the rest of us. 
And hopefully, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely see you in 2012. We just can't promise when. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So take care, everybody. Thank you guys for uh, joining us. Thanks to the chat room for hanging out. And we'll, we'll catch you next time. See you. Stay classy, wood chat. Jeez. <laughs> oh, Wood Talk Online is a community-supported show and you can help out for as little as $2 a month. Donations aren't required, but they are appreciated. If you'd like to help out, head to woodtalkonline.com and click one of the donation buttons in the right column. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!